Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangers Capital Podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Ranger Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Ranger Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, February 2nd, and uh, the market had another 2% down day. I think we've had one of those about 50% of the times we've recorded a podcast this year. We're going to start by talking about the most interesting things we've seen in the past week, and then we'll shift into some quick updates on our political thoughts after the Iowa primaries yesterday. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and start? Well, I think our thoughts aren't political. Our thoughts, <laughs> I would say, are empirical, but empirical thoughts on topics political. Okay, perfect. We will talk about empirical thoughts on political topics after uh, most interesting things then. The most interesting thing this past week is Hutchinson Technology, mm-hmm. uh, ticker HTCH. Uh, this one doesn't work well if you are at a bar trying to pick somebody up or trying to have a scintillating <laughs> conversation, uh, but it is uh, a hard disk drive suspension assembly manufacturer. I just want to let you know, I don't think many stocks work well if, if you're at a bar trying to pick someone up. I hate to break this one to you. Well, this this wouldn't even be high on my list of what I'd maybe go for, but it's a, uh, so they don't make the hard Hard disk drives. They make the assembly for the suspension of hard disk yep, drives, yep. Uh, and uh, they um, have been a bit of a basket case. I don't think you're supposed to say basket case. They're 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 a bit of a catastrophe, uh, and they uh, are getting bought. Uh, so just. The reason they're not sexy is this is an industry that will go away at some point. Absolutely. It's going away. The suspension drives, you can think of it almost as the, the thing that holds the CD player together, going away at some point. Not today, not tomorrow, not next year, but at some point. So the only question is, from a business perspective, how much cash can you suck out of something? Yep. You know, the, uh, we'll some other time talk about the literal buggy whip industry actually yep. made enough cash to justify it for many years after yep. people knew it was going away. Uh, maybe the case is uh, and, the same and, here. And this, these will be around for a while. Mm-hmm. It's, again, not going away today or tomorrow, but at some point it's probably gone. Going away is not an insult in business. You just need to get more cash out of it than you yep. put into yep. it in yep. the interim. Uh, in, in this case, they are getting bought by TDK. Uh, and what's interesting about this to us uh, is that there is a spread, uh, a word that I say constantly, and every once in a while, a listener will write back and say, what do you mean by spread? And I mean the difference between the offer price and a definitive signed deal and the stock price is about a quarter. Yep. Uh, and that works out to an annual return of over 20% if the deal closes by May as we expect. So we're going to talk about it in a second, but it's a complicated deal. Mm-hmm. But you can expect, if the deal closes, to get $4. Share straight for three seventy-five. That's yep. the quarter you talk about. So $0.25 cents on three seventy-five is nice, but when you get it in three or four months... It's even better. So, even better. And three or four months from now, we'll have something else to do with our money. So we'll exactly. hopefully get our capital back. We'll get a reasonable return, and we will put it back to work on something else. So there are a couple reasons why. it's tr- Obviously, you never get anything for free. There are some reasons why it trades at a discount. <laughs> True. But there are some reasons why it's trading at a discount to $4. So why don't you talk about this? Well, the uh, three things I'll just bring up briefly. One is the headline price is actually three sixty two per share. Yep. Uh, and it has to do with the amount of net cash that they have that could bring it back up to four. Based on where they are today, 
you would get four. Yep. If net cash deteriorated enough, you could get a price as low as three sixty two. Uh, and so the uh, the consideration is slightly complex. Yeah. So we've talked about before how CVRs can often be discounted because they're a complex security. And in this case, the headline price will say three sixty two per share plus thirty eight cents. Now that thirty eight cents, as you said, it's based on their net cash balance when the deal closes. And based on our analysis and based on what they have on their balance sheet today, it's exceedingly, exceedingly likely that they're going to get that $0.38, cents, yep. uh, particularly because the deal will close, hopefully, in a very short time frame. Mm. But when you screen for it or look at it, it's complex. So that's one reason a discount could exist. When I'm Another looking at reason. deals, you know, one of the things that I find is that timing risk equals deal risk because the more uh, a deal's out there, the mm-hmm. more things that can mm-hmm. go wrong, including, mm-hmm. in this case, net cash can deteriorate. Uh, the other two things I would mention briefly are the Hart Scott Rodino HSR Antitrust Review in the U.S. Yeah. and the CFIUS Review, the Canadian yep. Foreign yep. Investment in the United States. And uh, both of these things are outstanding. Uh, we have an opinion. We often have opinions on both of these uh, that they're going to clear and clear in short order. So I think particularly the uh, HSR Act, uh, mm-hmm. the FTC in this case, or the FTC uh, is looking over it, and they hit them with a second request. Yep. So if there's no antitrust act, act issues, in general, the FTC will just let the, the HSR Act review expire. Nothing happens. In Correct. this case, they got hit with a second request, which is causing people to fear that on antitrust grounds, the merger will be broken. You want to talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure. The uh, most benign outcome is an ET or early termination. If it's mm-hmm. slightly uh, more involved, uh, you might run your course 15 days for a tender offer, 30 days for a merger. Uh, if you need a little more time, you pull and refile you pull the filing and restart the process and the most dire is the second request uh it happens in a minority of cases has happened this time uh but what they're really looking for at this point uh, two things uh, there there's there's a serious econometric analysis but the things the lawyers want if they're going to bring a case are hot docs and complaining customers. Hot docs are uh, indications internally from the documents of the company that they are trying to fix prices or yep, that they yep. price against the other uh, a merger party and that after the deal, they could durably raise prices. Mm-hmm. Not just try to raise prices, but if they try, say, 5% or more yep, yep. over a period of two yep, years, yep, more, yep. Uh, that they will uh, be able to hold on to those. Uh, in this case, it is both a concentrated industry but also concentrated customers the customers are much bigger. The customers don't care. The customers aren't going to complain. And so the deal will clear. So that's our hope. Uh, and it's a lot of that's a function of kind of a buggy whip. I'll put that in quotes, industry. Yep. Buggy whip industries tend to consolidate so you can cut costs. You can uh, bring everything within house and you can eliminate excess capacity. In this case, having reviewed the merger documents, all the customers knew of this merger. Yep. They went to them and said, hey, that guy's going to buy us. You can buy us if you want. You've got the right. And all the customers said, no, we're good. So it's possible one of them kind of changes their minds at the last second and submits a request, but it seems exceedingly unlikely. Hopefully deal closes. It seems like a, a good, not great opportunity, I would say. Good, not great. Uh, and I think, you know, if push came to shove, they can actually use it as an antitrust defense called a failing firm defense. They don't want to if they yeah. don't have to. But that's that. Uh, Andrew, what's the most interesting thing you've seen in the past Yeah, week? so we generally don't look at the kind of super large mega cap companies. But uh, Apple caught my eye a little bit this week. They reported earnings last week. Uh, they lost their title as the most valuable company in the world. 
And the reason I've kind of been interested in them is they trade at a really interesting multiple. So things you generally look at big companies on price to earnings multiples, EV to EBITDA multiples. And these guys trade at 10x price to earnings, 5x EV to EBITDA. And both those numbers are very cheap for what's considered kind of this super growth company. Uh, It's not really growing anymore. They've guided that iPhone sales are going to uh, decline for the first time ever this quarter. And uh, one other thing that's interesting is it's the most followed company in the world, I'd probably say. And almost 85% of analysts have a buy rating on it. And it's, uh, you know, declined pretty significantly over the past six months. We don't really listen to analysts. We like to do our own work. But it's just interesting to kind of note that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we don't have a position in it. But uh, one of the reasons we don't is I think we want to beat the market. And if you want to beat the market, just kind of as a baseline, the best way to do it is not investing in the largest and most visible company in the world that's covered by tons of analysts. It's to go a little bit smaller, something that's not as visible with few people who are covering it. But, uh, you know, we had to look at it because of the valuation and I actually came away kind of negative. And there were three reasons for that. There was just a baseline statistical analysis, there was the valuation, and then there's the kind of cash and R&D productivity. So on the baseline valuation, I think the history of investing in either the largest company in the world or extremely large tech companies at value prices are both horrible. So largest company in the world, in general, what you get is something kind of riding a cyclical peak. Think Cisco in the tech bubble. Exxon during kind of the peak oil phase. Uh, It's not a great sign when you're investing in something that is the largest in the world. And then investing in tech companies at value prices, generally they're value price because the market's adjusting for a big fall off. So we talked about IBM last week. HP, Dell a few years ago would be good examples. The market's normally pretty onto it. And people who say 10x PE are a little behind. Uh, So then on valuation... Uh, A lot of people think of Apple as a tech company. We kind of think of them more, they're actually a consumer electronics company. Uh, 50% of the revenues come from iPhone and even more when you adjust for the fact they get a ton of uh, revenue from service. And uh, one of the things I thought is iPhone, you know, they've charged, they've been able to charge $700 per iPhone for since 2011-ish. And I think the history of consumer electronics is prices come down over time. Uh, And I think if you're investing in them saying earnings are going to be stable, you really need to think iPhones are going to sell for $700 or so going forward. I think there's an open question if they can. Android prices over that time have gone from $400 to $200. I think there's a question, do people kind of, will the number of iPhones stay stable? Or now that iPhones are kind of gotten pretty good and the improvements are incremental, do people go from upgrading their phones once every year or once every two years to once every three or four years? So I think there's a really big question if uh, earnings are going to be stable. And then the last thing I thought is on the cash and R&D, people like to say they've got $150 billion. They'll buy growth if they need to, or they spend $8 billion a year on R&D. They can invent such cool things. And I think when you look at it, the year before the iPhone came out, they spent about five to $700 million in research and development. The past couple of years, they've been spending five to $8 billion and they haven't really come out with anything new. So it seems like their return on R&D has gone way down, maybe a little bit of corporate bureaucracy there. And then on the cash, a lot of people say, oh, they'll go buy Tesla or Netflix for growth. Well, you don't buy things for free. You don't just create value for free. 
And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of question on what the returns on that cash will be. Uh, obviously, a dollar's worth a dollar. There's some tax issues there. But I don't really think they're going to be able to acquire anything that can boost their value. So anyway, I'll turn it over to you. I've been talking a lot. No, that's very interesting. The other thing I'd say about the iPhone is if you look over the last half decade or so, the original first generation iPhone is now available in terms of analogous features mm-hmm. at Walmart for free. Yep. I mean, literally with their plan. And so, uh, you know, the, the differences that are available for each incremental improvement have to become more and more marginal. Exactly. People are going to pay less for that. You know, time. and you can even think, uh, I think one of the big bear arguments a couple years ago that was subsequently proven, maybe disproven, maybe proven too early, but people said, if you look to the 1980s, Apple with the MacBook, you know, everything was controlled. They were premium, top of the line. And they lost to the IBM, and it was actually the Microsoft DOS, Intel processor units that were commoditized, standard, and cheaper. And uh, I think there's the question, does Android do this to them? The Android's taken a huge market share. They don't make much profits, but Google Google owns Android, and they might not really care about profits. So anything else there? I would just say that if you look at R&D, uh, one of the statistics that's always been interesting to me is if you look at Nobel laureates and you say, when were they recognized? when did they have the insight that led to what they were awarded for? Mm -hmm. Most people who are recognized for great research and development are old and rich, but they were young and poor when when they made the insight that got them that way. Exactly. If you're looking to invest in the next iPhone or something, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to come out of a huge bureaucracy like Apple. It's going to come from a young, hungry startup like Apple was in 2000, run by a visionary founder who's got a lot of economics on the line. One of the hedge fund managers I know said that he only hires PhDs. You have to be poor, hungry, and driven. (laughs) All right. So let's, uh, we'll turn quickly to some Iowa thoughts, but before we get there just a quick request if you like this podcast please be sure to subscribe on itunes stitcher soundcloud wherever you listen to it if you already follow us uh one way you can really help us is by leaving a review and rating the podcast you don't even have to leave a written review all you have to do is leave a star review uh preferably five stars if you like the podcast but we are all in for intellectual honesty so be honest just review us we'd love to hear your feedback and it really helps the podcast all right so chris uh you've got a great political background and why don't we turn now to kind of your updated thoughts on the election post the Iowa caucuses last night? Well, we are through the Iowa caucuses. We have a lot more information than we had a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would just say thematically, Iowa is for losers. Uh, and this has meant no insult <laughs> the to hate the mail. The hate you know, mail that's going to be coming. Very poor star ratings. Uh, I was going to say, you know, intellectual honesty, it's like competition. We like it in our vendors and our customers. We're a little softer on it when we're discussing <laughs> ourselves. Uh, no, the, I was a lovely place. I've been there. I have family there. But it is for losers in terms of how it weeds out competition mm-hmm. uh, for potential presidential nominees. Uh, The winners often turn over a couple times between Iowa and the general election. However, it's really the beginning of the end for also rans. Uh, uh, For people whose uh, wives and kids were enthusiastic about them being a good president, but there was very little data uh, inbound, uh, they're going to have a tough time raising money after New Hampshire. Uh, So I think, especially on the Republican side, uh, you have, uh, especially within the kind of establishment 
Movement's elite. Uh, you have Marco Rubio really going way out in front mm. of his uh, competition for that sub-nomination process. Yep. Um, you have uh, Trump fading significantly. He's kind of in that category of very high unfavorable kind of non-free market, non-constitutional, limited government uh, characters in the history of Pat Buchanan uh, and uh, Mike Huckabee. Uh, and uh, he's kind of run his course at this point. So I think what you find if you look at history is though, those type of candidates, they get about to 25% yeah. and then they hit the ceiling because it's really easy to make some noise, get the 25% who agree with you to come mm-hmm. over. But then everyone, everyone else, you're not really going to – you've already gotten everyone who likes you. You're not really going to be able to switch someone over or get someone undecided. And I think that's what you saw with Trump kind of topped out there. Yeah. And now that the field can consolidate behind Rubio, he can kind of start getting the rest. So it seems like it's setting up pretty well for him. Trump has a very hard ceiling. Uh, Rubio can consolidate the rest. And uh, so I think that's what we're going to see uh, in subsequent uh, rounds. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. I will say, uh, I think our first podcast, you predicted that Trump would be out of the Republican lead by the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is coming up this Sunday. So I think we that prediction proved accurate by almost the hair of our teeth, but it did prove accurate. So congrats. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I think that, uh, you know, we're just kind of seeing a process unfold. Uh, on the Democrat side, I should say uh, that uh, Sanders had one of the states where he should have run strongest in. But boy, he did so well that a uh, Liz Warren or Joe Biden must be having some second thoughts about, <laughs> about not running. Yeah, run. it's too late now, but they, they're probably kicking themselves given how, uh, he, how did. Well he did. All right, great. Well, I think that's it for today. Again, if you like this podcast, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If you already subscribe, help rating us really helps the podcast out. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.